Welcome to Practical Christian Living. God doesn't want you and I to live as opportunists at all. God wants us to live by faith. That is trusting that God's going to exalt me and not the people that I run into or not connections that I've made. God's going to exalt me not because I'm a schmoozer, but because I have a right heart with Him. When we put all our trust in God, then we don't have to look to please people or act in a certain way to try to become popular. We find favor with God, and that's all that matters. So He takes care of us. He exalts us. We move ahead in our series through the book of James with chapter 2 and a warning to watch out for favoritism. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you again for your word. It really is rich. And we thank you that you challenge us, that the passages that we cover not only speak to us about things that we are in total agreement with or that we never struggle with, but you also speak to us about those things that we have difficulties and struggles with. And we pray today that your Holy Spirit would touch our hearts and help us to have a real understanding as to what this text is saying. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. When we think of God and we think of the attributes of God, we think of that God is all-knowing. One of the, the attributes of God that I love is that God is transcendent. It means that, that no matter what, we can't understand God. There's always going to be things about God, at least while we're here now, that we do not understand because he is transcendent. God is all-seeing. God is all-knowing. God is almighty. God is all-powerful. But there's another attribute of God that we don't talk about much, but that we're going to look at in our text today in the book of James, and that is that God is not partial. God is not impressed with any human. We are impressed with people. And there's almost no way for us not to be. If someone is famous and we see that famous person, it could be somebody that we don't even care all that much about. But if we see them in Starbucks, oh, look over there. You know, it's whoever. It could be somebody that we don't care about that normally we would, but because they're famous, we see them and we think differently of them. For us to not be partial, we really have to fight against it. However, God isn't impressed with anyone. God looks at everyone the same. In fact, I want to start the study by reading you a passage out of the book of Deuteronomy. It's Deuteronomy 10, 17. Let me just read it to you. You can note it or look it up later. It says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome who shows no partiality nor takes any bribes. In other words, when you're standing in front of him, if you haven't made peace with him, there's no hope. You can't bribe him and he doesn't show any partiality. Now, here's the thing. You and I, although we struggle with partiality, you and I are the hands and feet of the living God. That is, we're called to represent him. Wherever we go and whatever we do, we're the light of the world, we're the salt of the earth. We are his hands, we're his feet. And we are to not show partiality. We're not to treat people who are poor any differently than we treat people who are rich. We're not to treat people who are good looking any worse than we treat somebody who's ugly. 
The Bible says, you knew I was going to throw that in there, didn't you? The Bible says in Proverbs that a wise man is associated with the humble. When it talks about being associated with the humble, it doesn't mean someone who has learned how to humble himself. It means a humble individual. It means an individual that somebody who's wealthy and famous would not want to be around at all. But we would go, you know what? God says to be associated with them. It may be it's somebody who isn't the, the sharpest knife in the drawer, somebody who's humble, and that as the church, we need to open up and embrace them. Well, obviously, because of where James goes now in the book of James, the early church was struggling with some forms of partiality. In fact, we might even go further with this by saying so far, there's been three topics in the book of James. You know what they are? Can you remember them? If you can, you're doing better than me. Because I said in the last service, there are three topics so far in the book of James, and I couldn't remember the third topic. It was downright embarrassing. I guess God wanted me to be humbled, and so I was. But I looked it up on the way over, so I know what the third topic is now. <laughs> That's the advantage of being able to drive over from the other campus. So first of all, I talked to us about trials, that we are approved by trials, that we show our genuine faith by the way that we respond to trials. And then we show our genuine faith by the way we respond to temptation. And then we show our genuine faith. Here's the one I got hung up on. And you're going to go, how could you get hung up on that? I don't know. By the way, we respond to the word, right? Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so we show our genuine faith because now we want to do what God says. When you're not a Christian, you don't really care what God says. But when you make a commitment to Christ, you want to do what he says. And now we show our genuine faith because we don't treat people with partiality. Now, here's the thing. This is really faith. Because when, you, when you're in the world and you meet somebody who's rich or influential or powerful, you see that as an opportunity. You see that as a way to advance yourself, to get to know someone. And if you're in school and you meet somebody in the field that you're gonna be going into, you especially see that as important. So when there's someone who is powerful or influential in a way of us feeling like I need to get ahead, we wanna take advantage of that. But God doesn't want you and I to live as opportunists at all. God wants us to live by faith. That is trusting that God's going to exalt me and not the people that I run into or not connections that I've made. God's going to exalt me, not because I'm a schmoozer, but because I have a right heart with him. And so then it shouldn't matter whether or not somebody is influential or powerful or whether someone is poor and doesn't have any influence at all. Another aspect that we probably should talk about when we talk about partiality is racism. And even though in the United States, we've come a long way since the 1960s when it comes to racism, there still is racism. And there's racism from Caucasians to blacks and from blacks to Caucasians and from Hispanics to Caucasians and from uh, Caucasians to Hispanic. There's racism that still takes place. And I found that people still justify their racism. It's not okay for other people to be racist, but it's okay for me to be racist. When I was a kid, I grew up in a poor part of Albuquerque. It was a highly Hispanic area. I was the white boy of the area. And I got beat up regularly because I was. So I could say it's okay for me to be racist because I was picked on when I was a kid. But in reality, it is never okay to be racist. God never sees what race someone is. The Bible says that, that God doesn't see Gentile or Jew. 
And there was huge racism between the Gentiles and the Jews in the days of the Bible. God doesn't see male or female. In fact, when, remember when Samuel went to anoint David as king, that his first son, Jesse's first son came out, David's older brother. I think his name is Elib. And when Elib came out, he was tall, he was handsome, he was good looking. And when Samuel saw him, he said, oh, certainly this is a king. Look at him. This is a king. And God said, don't look at his outward appearance because I've rejected him. Because I don't look on the outward, but I look on the heart. And he went through all six of Jesse's sons. And then he said to Jesse, do you have any more? And Jesse said, oh yeah, I got one more. He forgot about David. David was just a young kid who was a shepherd boy. And so uh, Samuel says, well, we're not going to sit down until you go get him. So he went and got him. When David came back up, he poured that oil on David's head and the oil went down his hair and onto his peach fuzz and onto the ground because God had looked at the heart of this kid and knew that that's the one that he wanted. And if God can look at people and look at them for who they are, and not based upon what race they are or not based upon how much money they have or not based upon how slick they are or power or, fa- or whatever, then certainly we need to be a church that does the same. And I've got to say, and I want to say this right up front before we even begin to look at the text, to some degree, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here with you guys. And I realize that uh, a while ago, we had a, a girl at our church who was just, she had cancer and she didn't have any insurance. And you remember that the, the insurance companies turned her down, access turned her down. They just basically said, we're not going to give you any treatment. You're just going to die. And when we brought that before you guys, we made it a practical Christian Living Foundation project and we raised $60,000 in two weeks from just the church. Normally we bring in the radio and TV when we do practical Christian Living projects, but $60,000 for her in two weeks. And that's the heart of someone who says, you know what, we really care about her. And it wasn't because she was anybody. It was because we really were touched by her story. And I realized that to some degree, I'm preaching to the choir because you guys respond really well. But I also realized that I found myself a little convicted as I read this passage today. And I'm not gonna let you completely off of the hook because I think we all struggle with partiality. I think if we honestly look at ourselves that we struggle with partiality and I think that God's going to test us that we're not gonna read a passage like we're gonna read today and study it and then not be tested by God. God's probably gonna bring somebody very influential into your life in the next few days. And then God's probably gonna bring somebody not so much. And hopefully this passage will still be fresh in your memory and you won't have completely forgot it like I did the third part of chapter one of the book of James about the word of God of all things. So we pick it up in verse one of chapter two. My brethren, Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. In other words, he says, when you are presenting the gospel, don't hold it with partiality. Go out and give the gospel to everybody and treat everybody the same way. Sometimes we think that if a person is famous and they get saved, that they're going to be of more value to the kingdom of God than someone who's not famous and they get saved. But you know what I found? I found that the famous people that have gotten saved are not always that helpful to the kingdom of God. When people like B.J. Thomas, when Dylan, Bob Dylan gave their lives to the Lord, people were like, oh, this is gonna be so good for the kingdom. It wasn't good for the kingdom because God uses the humble of the world to confound the wise. And so when we take the heart of the message to those who are struggling and those who are indifferent, those who are on the very bottom, 
uh, then we are truly doing what the Lord calls us to do. And we are being like Christ who doesn't show any partiality. There's a, um, an, an urban legend. It uh, probably didn't happen. Uh, there's a name that has been given to the guy, but the, the story goes that a pastor was taking over a church that he'd gone and he'd preached at this church and, and the congregation voted him in. And a, a few weeks passed before he actually took over the pulpit. And uh, that morning he was to preach, he showed up at the church as a homeless man. He'd grown out a beard and he showed up as a homeless guy. Now, there's pictures. You can go look him up on the internet. And there's pictures of him on the internet. I'm not sure. Again, Scopes kind of says, eh, it's iffy whether or not it happened. But it's a good story anyway. He shows up at church and he's treated poorly. He's treated poorly by everybody that's there. He kind of goes through his whole process of the morning from the time he gets into the parking lot, uh, from, you know, the way that he was directed and treated. And then when it was time for him to preach and be introduced, he got up as the homeless guy and came up. And in the story, it says that he just said, why don't we just go ahead and go home and think about how we responded? Now, I think it's a good story. And I hope that if we were tested that way, you know, the Bible says that we entertain angels unaware. How do we know that God hasn't sent an angel into our place just to see how we're going to respond and if we hold the faith of Jesus with partiality or not? So he gives an example. Now, if you're wondering, well, what kind of partiality is he talking about? Well, you won't have to wonder for long because he really gets into it. In verse two, he gives us an example. He says, for if you should come into your assembly, the word assembly here is synagogue. And it helps us to understand how early the book of James was written. When the book of James was written, almost all Christians were Jewish. Cornelius had probably not been saved yet, or if he had been saved, it had just happened. The church in Jerusalem had been scattered and uh, there was a dispersion that had taken place. Uh, but still, most Christians at this point were Jewish. This is the only place that the word assembly actually is synagogue. Now, other places, it's church. But here it's assembly, synagogue. If a man comes into your synagogue, a man with gold rings, literally a gold ringed man and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes. So now he gives the contrast. Now you got to picture a wealthy person in their day in Rome and what they would have looked like. They had stores that if you wanted to make an impression, if you had a party you wanted to go to or a gig that weekend and you wanted to go to it, they had stores you could go and buy rings with for. And you could buy a ring, rings for every finger. They would put rings on every single finger on their left hand. And then they would carry uh, part of their clothing, kind of their sash or whatever in that hand. And can you picture a Roman all decked out with rings all over a hand? And so you're part of the church or their synagogue, right? Because most of these are Jewish Christians, right? And here comes this rich man in. Ooh, come on in, sit down. We got a building project going on. In contrast, somebody coming in just wearing absolutely filthy clothes. And in the Greek, the word for filthy clothes there is filthy clothes. And they pay attention to the one wearing the clothes, verse 3 says, and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Now, he's not saying sit here at my footstool like, you know, right up in front. He's saying, get out of the way. I want you up and under out of the way, not in front of the footstool, but almost literally under the footstool. To the, the rich person, you say, oh, we want you to have this special seat. But to the poor person, you push them away. And so then in verse five, have you not shown partiality among yourselves 
and become judges with evil thoughts. I got to say that James is not light on them when it comes to partiality. He tells them that because they have been partial in the faith, that they have evil thoughts. And the way this is written is that it has happened. Not that he's giving them a warning and telling them, listen, I want to talk to you guys before this happens, but this has happened and they have been partial. They've, poor people have come in and they have been pushed aside and rich people have come in and they have been uh, touted because they are rich. And again, nothing could be further from God. When you study the Old Testament, you find that God cares about the poor greatly. I don't know that he cares about the poor because he loves the poor any more than he loves the rich. I was reading a commentary today that said that, that God has a special place in his heart for the poor. I don't know if that's right. I think that God's not partial, but I think that God sees the suffering of the poor. And if God has a special heart for the poor, it's because he sees their suffering, not because he loves them more than he loves someone who is rich. God doesn't show partiality. God doesn't see men based upon those things, but he sees the suffering. He sees the heartaches. He sees the, the hardship. And so over and over again, the Bible encourages us to take care of the poor. In fact, the Bible says, Proverbs, when you lend to the poor, you lend to the Lord and he will repay you. And I love that. God wants you to know that you can give to the poor. You may say, well, I am poor. I'm gonna give to the poor. God wants you to know that you can give to someone who's struggling more than you are and that God will take care of you. That's why the Bible says, give and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. That's why the Bible says, give and God will give back to you tenfold. Not so that you can go, oh, I gave $100. I'm gonna get 1,000 back. I'm gonna give 1,000. I'll get 10,000 back. But so that you know you can be generous and you can give to those who are struggling. In Exodus, after the 10 commandments are given, there's a section on precedent given to the judges of Israel. Remember that, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, had told him, you're gonna get war out here. You need to raise up 70 men who will be judges among you. And when there's something really difficult, let them come to you. And so Moses had 70 judges in Israel under him. And he gave a section in the law for precedent. He gave different accounts of things that would happen and how they were supposed to judge. And they were simply meant for precedent. That is, you know, if a donkey goes over, you borrow a guy's donkey and he's with you and the donkey dies, it's his fault. If the donkey dies and he's not with you, then you owe the guy for the donkey. It's just things like that. Really hard to find application, by the way, when you're, you're studying that particular passage. But right in the middle of it, God says, if a man takes advantage of widows and orphans and the poor, I will kill him. God doesn't even say, this is what I want you to do. He just says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. How does God feel when someone takes advantage of the poor? God said in the Old Testament times, I'll take you out of here. God, in essence, was saying, you want to take advantage of widows and orphans? I'm going to make your wife a widow and your children an orphan if you do that. Now, that ought to be scary enough. I mean, we're talking about partiality today, but that verse goes one step more where someone's taking advantage of people who are impoverished, of widows and orphans, and that ought to scare anybody who somehow takes advantage of them. That ought to be a scary thing because God said, I will take care of them uh, if they do that. And over and over again, the Bible speaks of how they are to treat uh, the poor. I'm telling you, I'm out of sorts. I'm tripping over the pulpit. I'm like tripping over my tongue. I'm going to fall down in a minute. 
<laughs> okay, so let's pick it up in verse uh, five. Listen, my beloved brethren. And again, his tone with them has become harsh. Listen, he says, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? He says God chose the poor of this world. It says in Isaiah that when the Messiah would come, that he would preach the gospel to the poor. When John the Baptist was wondering whether or not Jesus was really the Messiah, John sent and said, are you the one or should I look for another? Remember, he's been arrested and he's just kind of like in this little bit of a turmoil. And Jesus says, you go and tell him what you've seen. The blind have received their sight back. The lame are walking and the poor have had the gospel preached to them. It was one of the signs of the Messiah. Again, if we're going to continue on the ministry of Jesus, then we are to continue on that ministry to the poor. I've got to tell you, it made me revisit something that I've been thinking about for a while. And I brought it up a while back and we never did it. And we've still kind of out there a little bit. And that is the idea of getting a facility on the south side of town. And as a church, helping to rise up a church in the poorest part of town. Because inner city churches struggle so much. But it would be a help if there was a sister church that could come alongside and say, we're going to help support you and we're going to preach the gospel to you. So this is something that's been on my heart for a while. And as I studied this, this passage, I thought, you know, you know, preaching to the poor, I think that you are never more successful in ministry than when you're preaching to the poor. There are people who have called out to God. There are people in need. There are people that cry out to him in their need and they have no resources to help themselves out. And when you bring the gospel to them, it was a work of the Messiah. And God has called those to be saved. A little bit later on, he would say to the church at Corinth, look around you. There's not many noble. There's not many rich. There's not many wealthy. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So he says, God has chosen the poor to be heirs to the kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean that God neglects wealthy people and a guy gives a, a message that if you are doing certain things here on earth, uh, you're sending up pillars into heaven and gold into heaven and you're gonna live in a palace. If you're doing bad things here on earth, then uh, you're sending up cardboard and you're gonna live in a shack forever. I don't think there's any shacks in heaven. <laughs> I don't think that God shows partiality, but I believe that the message of the gospel is received by the poor far more than it is by the rich. I had a person tell me one time, I, I really believe that God's called me to the wealthiest part of town to preach the gospel because nobody cares about the wealthy. <laughs> now, maybe the Holy Spirit was speaking that to him. I don't know, I can't judge, right? I'm not God, I'm not in the place of God and I can't speak that. But that seems like an awfully easy thing to say. It's like you just have a hard time believing them. It's like the person who says they're called to go to Hawaii and start a Calvary Chapel. <laughs> maybe they are, but isn't everybody called to Hawaii to start a Calvary Chapel, right? When we say, you know what? I believe God's calling me to go and minister to the poor. We know that that's God's heart. And it's not that, that rich people don't hear the gospel and aren't saved, but it is hard for a rich person to get saved because their money gets in the way. Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. And some people try to make that softer by saying there was a gate that was called the eye of the needle and you had to get the camel on its knees to go through. And that's what Jesus was saying. But how did the disciples respond? You remember? They said, who then can be saved? They were astonished that Jesus would say that. It's the eye of a needle. But Jesus said this, 
With men, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.